Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Health and Safety Matters podcast. I'm Mark Sennett, CEO of Western Business Media, which is the publisher of Health and Safety Matters. I'm delighted this podcast is once again sponsored by the Health and Safety Event. And if you haven't heard about the Health and Safety Event, it's definitely set to take place this year on the 7th to 9th of September at the NEC in Birmingham. And if you register up for free to the event, which you can do at www.healthandsafetyevent.com, your registration will not only give you access to the Health and Safety Event on the 7th to the 9th of September 2021, but also give you free access to the emergency services show, the fire safety event, the facilities event and the security event which are all co-located together at the NEC Birmingham as I said on the 7th to 9th of September. It's well worth attending, all of the theatres there have CPD so definitely take a look at the website and sign up. So for any of you that aren't familiar with Health and Safety Matters, you can go to our website, which is www.hsmsearch.com. You can register for free to get our twice a week e-newsletter or to get our publication, which is printed six times a year with the biggest health and safety magazine in the sector. And we've also got a huge list of archive for our webinars. So you can actually get CPD by reading the publication or a CPD certificate by attending our webinars. If you go to the website www.hsmsearch.com, you can see all the latest news, prosecutions and products and services in the sector, and as I said, our archive of webinars and back issues of magazines in there. But as always, we start with the news. And there's an interesting news story that I spotted coming out of IOSH, and it's something that I've spoken about quite a bit. It's all to do with levels of fines. So IOSH has said tougher penalties have had a positive impact. And when we say positive impact and tougher penalties, we're talking about financial penalties imposed in prosecutions related to health and safety. So five years on from the implementation of new court guidelines, which is all to do with the sentences of health and safety offences, IOSH has said there's been a positive impact persuading businesses to invest more in protecting workers, but it believes more still needs to be done. Following the implementation of the Sentencing Council's health and safety offences, corporate manslaughter and food safety and hygiene offences definitive guidelines on the 1st of February 2016, the average fine handed out by court has increased from just over £54,000 in 2015-2016, which is the year before the guidelines were introduced, to over 150000 in 2018-19, where that figure fell by 27% to 110,000 in 2019-2020, many fines since the guidelines introduced have topped 1 million and involved some high-profile organisations. In the same period, the number of enforcement notices issued by the Health and Safety Executive to remedy breaches without court action has actually fallen. Provisional figures for 2019-20 show that there were 7,075 notices, which is the lowest since 2007-2008. Between 2015-16 and 2018-19, the number of fatalities in workplace accidents has remained at a similar level, with 147 and 149 deaths respectively. The numbers dip significantly in 2019-2020 to 111. Though the beginning, this is the beginning of the COVID pandemic, it seems likely that this is probably partly responsible. But you can look at that and think, yes, possibly this has been the case because more and more people are working remotely. And hopefully as we move towards the end of lockdown, we'll see more people back in the workplace. But obviously at the same time, we hope that, that statistic stays even lower than the 111 that I just mentioned. So IOSH is supporting an organisation of Vision Zero, a campaign led by the International Social Security Association to keep all employees around the world out of harm's way while they work. Ruth Wilkinson, who's head of health and safety at IOSH, said, the average fine 
amount rose sharply in the first few years after the guidelines were introduced, substantially for large organisations. We believe this, coupled with the reputational impact and worker, public and supply chain requirements for safer work practices and the responsible employers, has had a significant impact in persuading businesses to invest further in looking after their workers. While you cannot put a value on human life, the level of fines now being handed out demonstrates and recognises society's disapproval of serious corporate failures that lead to injury, illness or death. It reflects a desire to deter others from making the same errors and takes significant steps forward in aligning penalties for these offences with other regulatory breaches in the UK. So I've got to say, I've long talked about this, particularly in the fire safety sector, which we cover on our sister podcast, the Fire Safety Matters podcast. Having higher penalties is important. It has to act as a deterrent. It's great to see that these fines have gone up significantly, you know, effectively trebled since this initiative has come in. It can only be a good thing that companies are forced having serious penalties. If you don't take health and safety seriously, or you put your workers at risk, then you will be hit with a massive fine. There's no point giving a multinational corporation a token pathetic fine, because what's, what's the incentive to invest heavily ensuring people are safe when if the penalty for not doing so is less than actually making significant investments into remedial work to keep people safe obviously there's an emotional side of that of where absolutely you should do everything to keep your employees safe but i think what i just said here is that in the past hasn't proved to be enough yes of course everybody knows people should have a right to come home from work safe but actually at some point when companies have been flouting safety regulations and are refusing to invest, and often in the past, health and safety has been a place to cut costs, particularly in uh, situations where you have an economic downturn like we do now. But one would hope the impact of COVID, the impact of steps taken from these fines being imposed, and the general move towards better health and safety culture in the UK will mean that, that this is working. And there's certainly evidence that this is working. And I can only hope in the fire safety sector they actually take this similar tact because. For me, over fire safety prosecutions, which are done by the Fire and Rescue Service, the fines are very, very small in most cases. It's really, you know, it's a few thousand pounds. And that includes the fatalities. And that's just not right. But I would echo what Ruth said there. How can you put a price on a human life? But what you can do is you could put penalties in to make firms take this seriously. And I think that's starting to happen. So I think this can only be seen as a good thing at this point. And uh, let's hope it carries on the same way. So moving on now to our second story, and it's another big story. The Health and Safety Executive has announced a new Chief Inspector of Buildings. So the HSE has announced the appointment of a Chief Inspector of the Buildings to establish and lead the new Building Safety Regulator. Peter Baker, who's the HSE's current Director of Building Safety and Construction, will take up the post with immediate effect. The government had asked the HSE to establish a new Building Safety Regulator in the wake of the Grenfell Tower disaster. And following the recommendations of... Uh, Judith Hackett's independent review into building safety, which was called a Building Safer Future. So in his role as the Chief Inspector of Buildings, Peter Baker will head up the Building Safety Regulator to deliver a new regime for high-risk buildings, overseeing the work to increase competence of all professionals working on buildings and ensure effective oversight of the entire building safety environment. Peter will also be the first head of the building control profession and lead the work to provide independent expert advice to industry, government, landlords and residents on building safety. 
So commenting on his appointment, Peter said, I'm honoured to be appointed as the first Chief Inspector of Buildings and the opportunity to play a lead role in bringing about the biggest change in building safety for a generation. I look forward to working with the government, industry, partner regulators and residents to shape and deliver a world-class risk-based regulatory system for the safety and standard of buildings that residents can have confidence in and that we can all be proud of. So a bit of background on Peter here. He's got over 30 years experience with the HSE as an inspector and a large number of senior operational posts and he's dealt with a wide range of industry sectors including the role of HC's Chief Inspector of Construction. Since 2017 Peter has led the HC's involvement in the government's building safety programme. So speaking on his appointment Sarah Newton who's the chair of the HSE said I'd like to congratulate Peter on his appointment as the new Chief Inspector of Buildings. Peter has a long track record of working in partnership with industry and other regulators to bring about behavioural and cultural change that improves people's safety. His deep understanding of assessing and managing hazards and risks make him ideally suited to shape and lead the implementation of the new building safety regime. And just to finish off, Dame Judith Hackett, who obviously was the independent advisor of the government on building safety, and she's also the chair of the transitional board, said, I'm delighted to hear of Peter Baker's appointment as a new chief inspector of buildings. With his impressive background, experience in regulating both major hazard industries and construction, he brings a wealth of experience to this important new role. I very much look forward to working with Peter as the new building safety regulator is established as we move to establish a new regime where people can be confident that their homes are safe and fit for purpose. So I'm not sure if everybody listening knows how big a deal this is. I know we're touching on fire safety again here, but obviously you know fire safety is a core part of your jobs. And... The fire safety sector really hasn't seen much change legislatively for a long, long time. I mean, you're looking back to 2005, the regulatory reform fire safety order coming in. And as we move into 2021, two huge pieces of legislation are currently trying to get rural assent, all relating to fire safety. You know, you've got the new fire safety bill that's in there, um, that's coming out, which, which should be later in the year. And you've also got um, the Building Safety Bill. And obviously, as part of all this, you've now got the Building Safety Regulator, which is going to, as we've just talked about, um, be run by the HSC. Ultimately, this is a huge shift in the wake of Grenfell, a huge shift in the wake of Judith Hackett's independent review. It's a sector that has often been left to itself. You can accuse this government in the past, or this, certainly this party um, that's the government, of really leaving industry to regulate itself. But two major pieces of legislation here, all relating to either fire safety or tall buildings, and an actual regulator done by the HSE coming to sector is huge news for the fire safety sector, and what a huge news for fire safety in general. So I don't really have much more to say other than we've talked about, you know, Peter Baker's CV, and it's obviously extensive, but I don't think there can be any downside to creating a new building safety regulator. And I think that follows on nicely from what we just talked about, about enforcement action. Because one thing that Grenfell has shown is that it often takes an absolute tragedy for real change to happen when it comes to health and safety or particularly fire safety in this country and I did a webinar recently which you can go to our sister website fsmatters.com actually you can go to hsmsearch.com as well and go in the webinars tab and you'll see we did a webinar with Apollo fire detectors and also Russ Timpson from the Tall Buildings Network where we talk about fire safety in residential 
premises. And you know, I've known Russ Timpson a long time, and and, and pre Grenfell, he was saying it's going to take an absolute tragedy in this country, like it did Lacknell House, for stuff to actually move. And and unfortunately, that is what it's taken. And it's certainly massive sea changes what's happening at the moment and that's got to be a positive to see two new pieces of legislation coming in this year and a building safety regulator so all i've got to add is to wish peter the very best of luck in his new role and it seems a really sensible appointment so it's time now to introduce our first guest on this edition of the Health and Safety Matters podcast. I was delighted to be joined by Sarah Ingle who's consultancy manager at Eco Online. And if you want more information about Eco Online, just visit www.ecoonline.com. And I had a really great chat with Sarah where she provided an overview of the main chemical legislative changes in the UK following Brexit, including the effects on COSH, safety data sheets, and supply chains. So I sat down with Sarah earlier, and here's what she had to say. Hi Sarah, how are you? Hi, not too bad now today. Well thanks for joining us, it's quite an interesting topic and I'll get straight into it. So on the 1st of January of this year, new chemical legislation was introduced across the UK. What changes should we expect and how will they affect companies in the UK? So the changes are actually, they spread out across a, a wide variety of legislation, everything from the REACH legislation to the CLP legislation to biocide to, I suppose, a small impact on the cost regulations as well. So we would expect that companies within the UK are going to have to adapt to these updated legislations and move away from the old European versions of the legislation. Uh, so that will require them to maybe take on some roles that they would not have had previously. Previously. Uh, so, for example, you might need to now complete registrations for chemicals where you wouldn't have, have to have done before because it would have been, I suppose, covered by EU companies that you might have bought chemicals from. OK, so and a follow up question to that, if you don't mind, Sarah, is how will these changes impact supply chains in the UK or from the UK to the EU for that matter? So because the legislation has changed now within the UK compared to the legislation within the EU, there may be delays with regards to actually selling products into the EU or even buying products into the UK. Um, so those changes would kind of reflect things like you may you may have to have additional registration requirements or notification requirements. There may be additional documentation that you now have to complete. Instead of registering using EU systems, you will have to do registration registration using the HSE systems and these are yet to be fleshed out so a lot of the EU systems are, are kind of based on on software that they have developed over the last 10 or 15 years a lot of the systems that we now have within the UK are actually paper-based or form-based systems and they are take a little bit longer to get used to so I can see a question in my mind that I think people listening to this from our audience will probably want me to ask so are we actually expecting any significant changes with say to data sheets or cost assessments? At this particular time, no, because when the um, safety data sheet legislation was introduced into the UK on the 1st of January, it actually completely just copied the legislation that was previously there from the EU. We will expect at some point down the line that the UK government will decide to deviate a little bit from the EU legislation. And they could decide to do this um, because they do not agree with the way in which the EU legislation is, is moving forward. So 
right now, the EU safety data sheets are still accepted within the UK, but we will expect at some point down the line that they may deviate from the, the, the EU legislation. Uh, with regards to the cost assessments, the cost regulation is actually a UK legislation and always has been a UK legislation. It does interact with some of the REACH and CLP regulations that are in the safety data sheets. So if they do change, uh, if the UK government decides to change the, the REACH and CLP legislation, then it could affect the cost regulations themselves. At this point, no, but we, we may see some changes down the line. So obviously with Brexit and everything is very topical at the moment, the Northern Ireland Protocol has really come in the public eye at the moment. So can I ask about that? So how does the Northern Ireland Protocol affect the introduction of these new legislative requirements? So in Northern Ireland, there are there are different rules, I suppose, in Northern Ireland. And the rules in Northern Ireland are in place to, I suppose, keep it within the, the EU legislation so that they can continue to supply within the EU, but also continue to supply within Britain itself. So within Northern Ireland, they do have to continue to comply with the EU versions of the REACH and CLP regulation, while still having additional requirements that have been introduced with the new UK REACH legislation as well. So basically, there, there, there's extra work that they have to do if, if they want to supply into Britain, but they still have to comply or they still can comply with the EU legislation when selling products into Europe or in, into, into any other country throughout the world. So what are some tips you'd give to companies now to ensure compliance? Well, we get a lot of questions with regards to this, actually. And the very first thing that, that I would always say is make sure that you're aware of what chemicals you actually have on site. And I suppose you wouldn't believe the amount of times that people just they don't have a basic inventory of chemicals. So the very first thing that we would say is uh, create an inventory of all chemicals you have and take into account where you buy these chemicals from. Take into account whether you're getting them from within the EU, from the UK suppliers, from the US from China, take into account the quantities as well that you're actually buying of those products so you can determine if you do have any legislative requirements. Once you have that, obtain your safety data sheets and keep this information up to date. If you are unsure about supply chains or what your next step may be, it's always important to contact your suppliers and to find out whether they have any additional information associated with those, uh, with the process and the chemicals uh, legislation that you may have to comply with going forward. They have probably already done this process and are aware of what requirements um, they have to put in place first. So if any of our listeners um, who've listened in today want to find out any more information or to get in touch with you, want to find out more about Eco Online, obviously where you work, what's the best way to do so? So you can contact us via the website. Uh, there is an online form. That's probably the best way of doing it. Um, so if you go on to www.econline.com, you'll be able to find the list of all the services we provide and the software services we have. Um, and there's also an online form there where you can fill it in and it'll come direct to me. Well, Sarah, it's been great to catch you. Thank you for this. What I think is a really important, interesting update. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Mark. So returning to the news now, obviously we quite often have to talk about COVID-19 and the effects of coronavirus because it obviously really is relevant to the workplace at the moment and, and to employees that you're responsible looking after. So I want to talk about a new report that's come out and people working from home during the pandemic are experiencing high levels of stress 
and withholding mental health conditions from their employer for fear of a negative impact on career progression, according to a new Health and Safety at Work report by Lloyd's Register. The Global Safety Assurance Specialist surveyed 5,500 individuals across 11 countries to understand the impact of changing work conditions caused by COVID-19. The report, which is titled Employee Wellbeing During a Pandemic, finds that 69% of employees globally report higher levels of work-related stress while working from home, driven by increased workloads and changes to working patterns to make sure resources demands are met. So according to the report, employees also have major concerns disclosing mental health conditions. Worldwide, 48% of people that took part in this survey felt it could have a negative impact on career progression, with 19% unsure. Incredibly, one in four of those surveyed said that nothing had been done by their employer to provide additional support in terms of mental health and well-being. Perhaps most concerning of all, 58% felt pressured to return to the office despite not feeling ready. Despite these results, working from home has led to an improved work-life balance for more than half, so 52% of the respondents. However, 22% felt that they were working longer hours than before, 17% felt more isolated from their colleagues, and 9% are more anxious. The data shows that the UK employees were notably reluctant to share mental health concerns, nearly one in four, which is 23%, feel unable to talk to anyone at work about their concerns, with only France recording a higher figure. Sharing concerns with colleagues at work seems particularly difficult for UK employees, just one in three felt they'd been able to talk to a peer at the same level. So James Pomeroy, who's the Director of Health, Environment and Safety at Lloyd Register, said the results concerning businesses right around the world and show that more needs to be done to tackle the stigma in working environments. Managers should lead by example and talk about their own experience inside and outside of work by taking and sharing their own concerns and worries. Leaders open the door for others to speak about their day-to-day challenges, creating a safe, inclusive environment that will help alleviate concerns that poor mental health will impact job progression. So this is a particular topic that's close to my heart is, you know, we've got 25 staff at Western Business Media, which is the publisher of Health and Safety Matters, and the staff are at home and have been for a long time, obviously. And it's something that we're very conscious of in terms of people's mental health. Now, what we've done, and I'm not saying that we're a shining light of how to do health and safety, but we do our best. And we're in touch with everybody every day, often through Microsoft Teams and People are always calling each other. But I've actually had a different um, view from from our staff. I've had a number of our staff begging to come back to the office. And and we've we've actually had to say no because they've said that mental health wise, they're finding it very, very difficult being isolated at home. We've had a number of staff say that. But equally, you know, when we've talked about in different lockdowns and bringing people back to work, it hasn't been a blanket policy of you must come back. We've spoken to staff on an individual level about how they feel. You know, there are certain exceptions where you do have to come into the office, perhaps if you're you're worried about internet connection and you're trying to host a webinar. And, you know, in that situation, we've created an isolated office environment for that member of staff to come in, do that and then go home. But it's it's actually talking is what I really want to say about this. Talking, communicating with your staff is absolutely fundamentally key. It's like many things in life. It's not a one size fits all policy. You have to talk to people on an individual level about how they feel. I've got staff that are particularly worried um, because they're in the vulnerable category about being near 
anybody else. And that's completely understandable. But then I've got others who are working from home with their children before schools went back and finding it really, really hard to be pretty much a full-time parent while trying to do a full-time job. I know on my own personal level, yes, I'm probably doing more hours than I ever have done before. And I don't want anyone to get a violin out for me on that. But actually, for me, it's been a positive thing of me choosing to do um, as many hours as I can when I'm away from my children because it gives me something to do the things in life that we want to be able to do that we enjoy doing a lot of us can't do now as an employer i'm not then enforcing that on our staff as say you must work longer hours and for absolutely not they've got their work hours and they should stick to their work hours and that's absolutely how it should be but i am seeing employees volunteering to work or, or answering emails late in the evening not because we expect it from them but because actually it takes their mind off of having nothing to do um, that they would normally do. But yeah, by and large, you know, all the staff stick to their hours and, and that's what we have to say. But, but certainly mental health, from my perspective, has been a key thing in here. I'd like to think in our company, people can talk about it, how they feel, and people have confided in us about how they felt. But I do recognise these statistics for sure. I can imagine a massive corporation you really feel insecure and worried if, if you're struggling at home that is this going to affect my long-term progression Th this is not a normal period in life for any of us this is you know hopefully once in a many generation incidents this pandemic and it has had a massive effect not just on health but mental health all i can say looking at these statistics is it's incredibly sad to read these statistics it's a fantastically interesting survey by lloyd's register but i'd urge all employers anyone listening or any employees or just talk that there is in my opinion, much lower stigma around mental health in the workplace. There's a much more sort of effort going into trying to protect people's mental health as there should be. And this is the kind of thing that impacts mental health that we just didn't expect to happen. If you told us, you know, just 14 months ago that um, a virus that would actually get us all housebound for pretty much a year, I think we'd have all laughed at you saying that, that that wouldn't happen. But that is the reality of COVID-19. That's what happened. So I definitely recognise the findings of this report. And I, I just urge all employers and employees to just talk because mental health is far too important a subject to just brush under the carpet. If you've got concerns talk to your line manager and if you really feel that you can't because of this we really are in a in a sad situation talk to somebody and you know hopefully we'll all be back in workplaces safely come june well certainly the hope from from my perspective so i want to move now on to our final news story and we, we've covered similar stories in the past and this is about you know unsuitable ladders being seized at a port so the team at the Test and Research Centre for Not-for-Profit Testing Facility of the Worker Hide Equipment was asked to examine suspicious shipment of ladders which was intercepted by training standards at the port of Felixstowe in February 2021, so that's last month, and they were shocked at how dangerous these products turned out to be. Ladders were a type of telescopic standing ladder, one that could be used in standing mode, like a step ladder, or leaning ladder mode, like an extension ladder. They were labelled EN131, implying that they complied with the European standard for ladders. However, missing contact details, product codes and manufacture dates, plus the presence of an illegal CE mark, raised suspicions with Suffolk County Council trading standards. Within a few days, the ladders were in a test lab at the Test and Research Centre undergoing an assessment. There's a whole range of tests that ladders must pass before it can be labelled EN131, including strength tests, slip tests, 
um, cyclic tests of the joints and connections. And there's also a specific requirement for materials and dimensions. This gives consumers confidence that the ladder meets basic safety standards. The ladders in this shipment might have been labelled Ian 131, but as the Test and Research Centre found, they were, you know, they were full of many, many, many failures. So the testing found that the base width was too small, many of those making it unstable. In others, the wrong spacing was inconsistent, making falls more likely. No slip-resistant surface on half the rungs. The ladders bent under pressure, up to four times greater than the limit. You'd expect a ladder to be rigid and flexible, but this was a bit opposite in these cases. Mandatory safety markings information were missing. The rungs could easily be pulled out of the style. Uh, a really worrying finding, as it means that the rung could have collapsed from under you. And one style cracked during the lightest load testing, which is a serious structural failure that put a halt to any of the further testing, from what they said, actually. That's how bad it was. So due to the diligence of trading standards officers at the Port of Felixstowe, 100 dangerous ladders were seized for further investigation. With the Test and Research Centre's help, testing proved that those suspicions were correct and they were right to prevent them from entering the UK. So... Gail Hounsley, who's the chair of the Ladder Association, said the condition of these ladders was truly shocking. Consumers have every right to expect the ladders they're buying is safe. But this case reminds us that unscrupulous suppliers are still trying to sneak dangerous products into unsuspecting UK homes and workplaces. If you're a purchaser of a ladder, please be vigilant. Source ladders from reputable suppliers who put your safety first, which is any Ladder Association member, is a fantastic place to start. Ask to see proof of certification to BSE 9131. So this is a topic that we cover a lot, whether it be safety products coming into the market or PPE coming into the market. And you just have to use and expect that safe PPE or safe worker hype products, in this case uh, ladders, are used. But there is so many people still trying to flood the market with unsafe, you know, safety products and that's just not acceptable at any level it, it, it's great to see that training standards have been so proactive it's the second story we've done from actually training standards at Felixstowe being proactive and seizing ladders and you know the ladder association do a great job in terms of supporting this work and it, it's just something that we do need to be vigilant of and that's why I thought I'd bring it up but actually it links on nicely to the news that I announced on the last podcast that Health and Safety Matters magazine, which is us, has partnered with the British Safety Industry Federation, BSIF, to do a one-day digital conference on PPE and ensuring that you use PPE. It's completely free to attend. It's a whole-day conference and takes place on the 28th of April 2021, so not long from now. As I said, everyone will get CPD certificate for attending and there is a great amount of speakers as in there. The conference really, really does focus on the importance of ensuring that only adequate PPE is used, which is particularly important in the wake of the COVID-19 um, pandemic and that, you know, that PPE saves lives. So what I'd say is the BSIFHSM PPE conference, it will examine the role that PPE plays in effective safety and health management. It will look at all PPE applications head to toe where it can be used to protect against a range of hazards faced by workers. The conference will hear from senior members of regulators. So Sarah Album, the CEO of the HSE, will be talking. 
and also the Office of Product Safety and Standards and Trading Standards, which is relevant to what we were just covering, we'll be talking. And we'll also get updates from the BSIF itself and contributions from BSIF special interest groups across the PPE product applications. So there's also a another element to this. So, so that conference does indeed start on the 28th of April, 2021 at 10 a.m. But it concludes with the long-awaited reveal of the winners of the health, sorry, the Safety and Health Excellence Awards 2020. So they will be hosted by comedian and impressionist Alistair McGowan. He will do a comedy set at 3.15, followed by the long-awaited and year-delayed Safety and Health Excellence Awards winners. It's completely free to attend the PPE conference, and this is all on the same platform. There'll be digital tables where you can network with other delegates, request video calls, send direct messages, browse through a plethora of... Um, sponsors information such as you know safety worksheets pdfs case studies you can download and videos there's a huge networking lounge where you can network with all the other delegates in it as i said it's completely free and you know the safety health excellence awards are um, one of my favorite things that we do you know we had over 200 entrants to this and over 100 shortlisted companies in 14 categories it includes the four long-established bsif awards and we're very very proud of that so I'd urge you all to come to the PPE conference, but then stay from 3.15 to 4.30 to celebrate excellence in the sector through the Safety and Health Excellence Awards. And of course, you'll enjoy a comedy set from Alistair McGowan. Now, the shortest link I can give you to register for free is actually go to the awards website. If you go to www.she-awards.com, so that's she-awards.com, you can click to register for free. Right at the very top, there is actually a register button, and that will take you to a combined registration page for the BSIFPP conference and the Safe Health Excellence Award. So yeah, that's she-awards.com, and right at the top, there's a register to attend button. Click on that, and you can register for free, and it'll be a fantastic day full of really important best practice and knowledge to share we've got some really high profile speakers and then it concludes with the safety and health excellence award so i really hope you can join us there it's something i'm very much looking forward to i'm very proud of our association with the bsaf and i couldn't think of a more appropriate topic for us to talk about in the wake of everything that's going on ppe has never been more in the public eye than now so now it's time to move on to our final guest on this edition of the Health and Safety Matters podcast, the time where we tend to sit down with manufacturers from across the world of health and safety. And I was delighted to sit down from Iris from Emma Safety Footwear, which is part of the Holtafors group. And it was a really interesting conversation because those of you that aren't familiar with uh, the Emma brand, you know, they have done a lot to take corporate responsibility seriously, to safely dispose old safety shoes and all about sustainability of their products and be environmentally responsible. And this is all to do with, you know, their new corporate sustainability plans. So I sat down with Iris earlier on today and here's what she had to say. Hi, Iris. How are you? Hi, I'm very well. Thank you. Well, thank you for joining me today. So let's get straight into this. So as a shoe safety manufacturer, the Emma brand has been well established for over 90 years. Why has the company developed its sustainability and 100% circularity initiative? Well, we noticed that we generated a lot of waste uh, throughout the industry. And we wanted to change this because uh, as 
uh, Europe, we are depending on other continents when it comes to raw materials. And that has such an impact on the environment. And uh, we didn't want to be part of this anymore. So that's why we started to work towards the circular economy. Well, it's a fantastic initiative. And, and as we know, it's, it's very much in the public eye that all businesses and corporate organizations are trying to become more environmentally responsible and have corporate sustainability plans. But let, let's put this back to the Emma brand. How does Emma's 100% circularity strategy connect and relate to the corporate sustainability strategies it has? Well, a lot of businesses uh, are supporting uh, the sustainable development goals uh, set by the United Nations. And so uh, do we. So uh, we are mainly focusing on sustainable development goal number eight, nine and 12, where number 12 is specifically focused at sustainable production and consumption. And uh, that is why also we are focusing on uh, the recycling of materials and also on, uh, on sustainable production in our own factory. So that is uh, how we are aligned with the other priorities and objectives of uh, other businesses uh, as well. So uh, these uh, goals are really uh, important for us. And yeah, we uh, continue to work uh, on these uh, in the next uh, years to come as well. So health and safety in the workplace is a management responsibility by law. Which business sectors does Emma manufacture footwear for? And how does Emma develop styles and product services for so many different uses? Well, based on the activities and risks, our models are determined which are used per segment. So Emma has a wide range of, of segments that we are working in. So these are, for example, construction and technology, electronics, metal, food, nature and environment, uh, facility services, but also chemicals logistics and transport, government and services, light industry and the healthcare sector. So that is a wide range of sectors that we are working in. And um, this is very important for us uh, to have a, a wide range of models uh, to work with. I mean, you've hit the nail on the head there. Emma does go into a wide range of industry sectors. But also, you know, you manufacture for both men and women in terms of safety shoes. So the question I want to talk to you is, is, is kind of a back about sustainability again. So... Is it right in saying that all components of your shoes are fully recyclable? Uh, what are they manufactured from and what happens to the components after they get dismantled, if you don't mind me asking? Of course, no problem at all. Well, we analysed all the materials we use and we analysed them on a material health and material recuperation, which means indeed that all our materials are recyclable so that they can be reused in a next use application. But we also make use of uh, products that are already recycled. For example, we have laces made from PET bottles and we have an uh, inlay sole made from uh, partly recycled foam, 80%. And also, yeah, we also uh, aim to increase this, this level. For example, uh, we are uh, now increasing the level of recycled content in the insole, which uh, also uh, makes a positive contribution again. And we are doing some tests also here uh, to make use of leather that is heavy metal free so which means that the leather no longer contains chromium for example and of course yeah all, all the components have a longer lifespan so that is very important for us in terms of the circular economy to focus on materials that can last longer because ideally in this way the, the wearers can have the shoes for a longer time and therefore it takes longer before they uh, can be recycled anyway so um, this is very important to us. 
So, you know, a lot of our listeners and readers of Health and Safety Matters magazine will realise that the disposal of old safety shoes can actually potentially cause sustainability issues for corporate customers. So can I ask you, how is Emma's logistical network used to work with customers in recycling old footwear? Well, what we did is we established an association uh, together with one of our competitors. And that association is based on the reverse logistics of the used footwear and on the recycling of the used footwear. Uh, And this is really new in the industry. It's a little bit strange, of course, to work with one of your competitors, but it was needed to create volume for the recycling process. So that is why uh, we are doing this together. So together we focus on uh, the reverse logistics and on the dismantling of the products. And uh, we uh, use existing transport uh, to uh, take back the footwear from our clients uh, because in that way, um, well, the impact on the environment is as little as possible. So that is uh, how we organize the recycling uh, system. So Emma obviously has a clear defined strategy for turning waste footwear into new footwear. But can I ask what makes Emma's strategy and series different from other footwear manufacturers? Well, we cover the entire chain. So we start at the beginning, so the the development of our raw materials. And we know really from A to Z which components and materials are used in our shoes. So the exact composition of each single material. And only in this way we are able uh, to develop the right next-use applications when the shoes are coming back to us. So after the shoe is no longer a shoe but a raw material for a next-use application. And in combination with this uh, reverse logistics uh, and recycling system, this uh, sets us apart, I believe. Uh, And next to that, we also are, for example, uh, ISO 14001 certified, which means uh, that we are audited on our environmental management standards that we have in our own factory. Uh, We make use of renewable energy. Uh, We also are investing a lot in uh, sound labor conditions in our supply chain. And we have about 100 people who have a disability uh, working at our own plant. So it's quite a broad and diverse topic. And I think uh, we are, as far as I know, uh, the only ones who are taking such a broad scope in this respect. So if I can just finish off, for obviously anyone listening today that might be interested in the Emma brand and more of the Holtervors group as a whole, if people want to find out more information or get in touch, is there a website? What's the easiest way to get in touch with you guys? Yes, most certainly. There's a website. It's www.emmasafetyfootwear.com where you can find a lot of information. And also every year we publish a sustainability report. And then uh, I think the next report will be due in May, uh, approximately. So uh, then the people will be able to download the report as well. Well, Iris, thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it. And best of luck with everything. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And that's all we've got time in this edition of the Health and Safety Matters podcast. I'd like to thank our sponsor, the Health and Safety Event. And if you'd like to attend the Health and Safety Event, it takes place on the 7th to 9th of September 2021 at the NEC in Birmingham. And you can find out more information or register for free at www.healthandsafetyevent.com. 
I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and we'll be back in April for another edition. Please do like and share this podcast with your friends. Give us a positive review on iTunes or whatever platform that you use and do please promote us to your industry colleagues. If you'd like to send any questions into us or give us any feedback, you can do so on social media using the hashtag HSMPodcast. Or in the meantime, if you want to get the latest health and safety news products, services and prosecution, please go to our website which is www.hsmsearch.com and you can sign up to receive our twice a week newsletter for free or you can look through our back catalogue of webinars that's there and get CBD certificates. And I also encourage you, as I said before, to sign up to the HSM BSIF PPE Conference and the Safe and Health Excellence Awards which take place on the 28th of April 2021 and if you'd like to register for free to attend that, all you need to do is go to www.she-awards.com dot com but that's all we've got time for now thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time on the health and safety matters podcast mm-hmm.